Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a fortnightly celebration of books. Today's episode is a recording of an event held live via Zoom during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's an all-star panel of Australian young adult authors featuring Sarah Epstein, Kay Kerr, Poppy Nuosu and Anna Waitley, chatting with YA publisher Joe Case about their writing journeys and giving a taste of their new books. A quick reminder, as this event has been recorded via the internet, there has been some effect on the sound quality of the episode. Now to kick things off, here's Readings Events Manager, Chris Gordon. Joe Case is the YA publisher for Wakefield. She's an author herself, Declaimer, she did actually used to work for Readings. We miss her so, so much. She's moved to Adelaide where she is just having an extraordinary career there. We love her. We cherish her. Joe Case, take it off. I know that she's going to be asking the most pertinent questions, some personal, some professional, and that you will get this opportunity to have a little glimpse into what makes a YA author. My friends, let's welcome Joe Case. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm going to get Chris Gordon to introduce me for everything I ever do. So beware, Chris. <laughs> but now I would like to one by one just give you a tiny little introduction to each of these fantastic YA authors and their books. So bear with me for a moment while I talk quite a bit and I do that, and then I'm going to hand it over and get them to talk as much as possible. So I'm going to introduce them in alphabetical order, to be very fair. First off, we have Sarah Epstein, whose book is Deep Water. Sarah is a writer, illustrator and designer. Her first novel, Small Spaces, a YA psychological thriller, won Best YA Crime Novel at the Sisters in Crime David Awards and the Adelaide Festival Award for Young Adult Fiction and was an honour book at the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year Awards. It was also shortlisted for another six awards, including, of course, the Readings YA Prize last year. Sarah's second novel, Deep Water, is a gripping mystery about a missing boy and a group of teenagers, one of whom knows something but isn't telling. Three months ago, 13-year-old Henry disappeared from the shallows during a violent storm, leaving behind his muddy mountain bike at the train station. His protective friend Chloe is looking for answers and Mason, his big brother, seems more troubled than ever. As Chloe wades into dangerous waters and Mason's past emerges, a chilling question ripples to the surface. How far would you go to keep a secret? Next, we have Kay Kerr, a former journalist and community newspaper editor from Brisbane, now living on the Sunshine Coast and working as a freelance writer. Kay was writing the first draft of Please Don't Hug Me, her first book, when she received her own autism spectrum diagnosis. Please Don't Hug Me is a funny, serious, own voices story about what happens when you stop trying to be the person other people expect you to be and give yourself a go. Life is getting messy for Erin, who is autistic, and that is a big problem. She's lost her job at Surf Zone after an incident that was clearly not her fault. Her boyfriend, Rudy, is turning out not to be the romantic type, and she's missing her brother, Rudy, who left almost a year ago. Through her letters to him and a friend she makes at a seriously uncool new job, 
she starts to figure herself out. Poppy Nwosu is an Australian YA author. Her debut novel, Making Friends with Alice Dyson, was shortlisted for the 2018 Adelaide Festival Unpublished Manuscript Award and again for the 2019 Readings Young Adult Book Prize. It will be published by Walker US later this year. Her second novel, Taking Down Evelyn Tate, is a story about friends, family and embracing who you are, even if that person is kind of weird. Impulsive Lottie, heavy metal fan, expert tomato grower and frequent visitor to the principal's office, is in even more trouble than usual. Her best friend Grace is dating Lottie's mortal enemy, good girl Evelyn Tate. But studious Jude, the boy next door, has the perfect war plan. Lottie will beat Evelyn at her own good girl game, unveiling Miss Perfect's sinister side in the process. And last but definitely not least, except by the alphabet, is Anna Waitley, who has always worked in literature and education and holds a PhD in young adult fiction. Now, Anna is an own voices author, proudly autistic, with ADHD and sensory processing disorder. Peter Lyre is rating normal. Her first novel explores the world of 16-year-old neurodivergent Peter Lyre. The world Peter lives in isn't designed for the way her mind works, but when she follows her therapist's rule, rules for normal behaviour, she can almost fit in without attracting attention. When a new girl, Sam, starts at school, Peter's carefully structured routines start to crack. But on the school ski trip, with romance blooming and a newfound confidence, she starts to wonder if maybe she can have a normal life after all. So that is our cast. And uh, now, thankfully, I'm going to throw it over to them and start talking about their books and why they're writing. So, guys, I'd like to start by asking a question for all of you um, about how your characters balance changing or adapting to better fit into their world with being true to who they really are. Kay and Anna, this idea is really central to your own, own sorry, to your own voices, novels about neurodivergent characters. Poppy, it's also a, a key theme for your troublemaking heroine Lottie, who deliberately becomes good to annoy her nemesis. And Sarah, your character Mason in particular, seems unable to uh, adapt to fit his environment and he's misjudged as a result. I wonder if each of you can talk a little bit about that idea in your novels. Who would like to go first? <laughs> oh, look, I'll be that person because that's just where I'm reliable in that way. Um, and I'd think, I'd say, yes, they learn to fit. It's not so much fitting in, but it's like understanding uh, the system so they can learn to work it in a way and that's what we all kind of do it's not like oh I've learned to conform and so now therefore everything I do will work out because I fit the rules it's that once you see them clearly you can understand what people are wanting and then what you want to do and how you can merge the two without compromising uh, your ethics I suppose in some way I'm not sure how the others feel yeah I 
I probably think with Erin, she's lent a little bit too much into the idea of fitting in and all of the things that she needs to do to fit in. So this Please Don't Hug Me is more about her figuring out what she actually wants to do and who she actually is and sort of breaking away a little bit from that. Yeah, and I think that that comes across in both um, both of your books, um, Kay and, and yeah, I, I think that Kay and Anna, sorry, that both of your characters have learned all of these rules to adapt and they it feels like part of their journey in the books is letting go of some of the things they've learned and letting their natural selves back in. Is that how you both saw those characters? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Sorry, Anna. No, you go, Kay. Um, yeah, there's definitely some unlearning and I think that's got a lot to do with with being autistic and masking and all of those things that you have to do um, to get through the day. So that's definitely where Erin's at. Yeah, and figuring out that what we might think is the truth or like the rule comes from some universal truth in some way and figuring out that's actually a made-up rule <laughs> that's not actually founded in much more than someone decided that's how it should be done mm. Yeah. Mm. and it's something that's generalized i guess mm. yeah and, and i do think it's really interesting that those things obviously in in your two books um are, are quite experienced quite intensely by your characters um because they're both autistic um but then it's something that we all deal with to some extent but and in our lives and therefore it also comes across in, in Sarah and Poppy's books. Um, Sarah and Poppy, which of you would like to go next? Um, I can talk a little bit about Mason. Um, Mason is um, a character who doesn't fit in at all um, to the norm and um, isn't trying to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly just because of his circumstances. He has... Um, problems with his temper um, and trying to control that and really um, it's he's grown up with this circle of friends and they all know him they've all known him since he was uh, a child but as they've all hit adolescence and things um, hormones all sorts of stuff um, Mason's life and his circumstances um, he's really starting to feel that um, that he's he's never going to get out of the small town of the shallows and so for him uh, that frustration is absolutely just starting to bubble over and he doesn't seem to have much control of it whereas his friend Tom uh, his best friend Tom also has had rough circumstances and yet you've got Tom um, being kind of the golden boy in a way he's conforming he's doing everything right he's uh, heading off well he's at university now um, yet he's also had um, some very rough circumstances within his family and so um, it's really interesting to see the way the two different best friends um, kind of uh, you know react to their situation and for Mason he's past the point of caring really Um, but of course he really does care uh, what everybody (laughs) thinks of him but it doesn't seem like that to everybody else. No he's a really heartbreaking character I think you know I just in fact Poppy, who I obviously work with, and I were talking about Mason earlier in the week and how we just felt for him so much. Um, and I, I think that it's 
it feels like he would like to adapt to to fit in more but it's just not possible for him because he's got so many things against him is that what you yeah I think he probably knows that he's never going to quite fit and for him um he instead of um, you know, doing like what Tom's done and he's, um, he's taken uh, that kind of fear of becoming like his parents. In Tom's situation, he's got a father who's in prison for fraud and he's got an estranged mother who lives and works in a different state. But uh, what Tom does is he um, wants to succeed anyway. And so he, he works really hard and um, he manages to get out. He goes to university and he'll do anything to look after his grandparents and, and see that everything's done right by them. Whereas for Mason, um, you know, his circumstances are that he uh, is just, just has so much fear about having, um, I guess, a genetic predisposition to the kind of um, violent tendencies that he, both of his parents have that uh, in, he can't sort of see past that he's so scared of being like them that he sort of does become like them. And so he, for him, the frustration is that he feels like he's just never going to get out. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just interesting to watch the two different best friends, I suppose, and the way they react to their situation. Um, but yeah, Mason, is misunderstood and i really thought that everybody reading him in the beginning would realize how misunderstood uh well they wouldn't realize that they were misunderstanding him by the end i hope that they realize uh like some other people have um that he you know his problems run a lot deeper than just this kind of um this boy with a hot temper absolutely i think so um poppy how about you with with lottie yeah um I think actually it's a little bit different with Lottie because I think she doesn't really, I don't think she's that interested in adapting or conforming or fitting in. Um, and really the incentive for her to change, like it comes from a very vindictive place in her heart that really <laughs> she just wants to uh, have revenge against someone she really, really hates rather than any sort of expectation of a positive outcome or making her life easier. But I think obviously once she does start down that journey to what she thinks of as becoming, you know, what's considered to be a good girl, I suppose, um, she does learn things along the way. And I think the main thing she learns is pretty much that she's not the only human being in the whole world that matters. <laughs> And through that, I think she starts realising that, you know, if you treat people with kindness, they treat you with kindness in return. So in that way, through changing, her life does become a lot easier, I think. But, um, you know, when I set out to write the book, I didn't really, I guess I didn't really think about her actually going through a change arc. I knew I wanted her to set out to pretend to change, but I didn't really think about her actually fundamentally changing. And when she started to, throughout writing the novel, I suddenly got very, very worried because Lottie is this really outgoing, confident, quite wild and like very naughty girl, really. <laughs> and I didn't want the arc of the book to be that by the end she tries to be good or she tones herself down or, you know, I just hated, I guess, what what that message is, you know, to, to girls that they have to be what people consider to be a good girl or something. Mm. So I, I really wanted it to be that her personality doesn't change. You know, by the end of the book, I want Lottie to be just as wild and <laughs> incorrigible as she always is. But I think 
the way that she interacts with other people does change because she learns to treat people, I think, with more kindness and thoughtfulness than I think she was really capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Although there is, there is that kind of, um, she has these moments where when she starts to change for vindictive reasons, um, <laughs> and people react positively to it, where she has this little struggle with like, oh, do they like me better that way? But that's not who I really am. And which to me, when I read, read your book um, alongside uh, Anna's and Kay's in particular, I thought that was so interesting in that, that both of their characters go through those journeys of, you know, the, the difference between someone who someone wants you to be and who you really are and kind of calibrating and finding what's in the middle. Um, so, I mean, that's the great thing about reading a pile of books and thinking about how they connect sometimes. <laughs> I think it's such a wonderful theme in YA, you know, the coming mm. age theme, which of course is always about discovering yourself and staying true to yourself and figuring out how to be who you want to be in the face of, you know, growing up and having all these new expectations and these pressures to conform to a certain way, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another thing that I, I really loved in all of your books and that perhaps is something that often comes up in YA books um, is the way that your friends fun function as kind of adjunct or alternative families for your characters. Um, for some, like Henry and Deep Water, friends stand in for dysfunctional families and do um, and kind of act, play the role of families. Whereas for others, like for instance, Erin in Please Hug Me, uh, they have families who are fulfilling that role, but friends offer something extra, like a, cute, a unique connection and self-development that's really central and essential to them. And I wonder if each of you could talk a bit about the role of friendships in your novels and for your characters. Um, maybe you could start, start us off, Kay. Yeah, sure. Um, so with Erin's two best friends in the book, they're um, Dee and Aggie. And so one is her school best friend who she's grown up with. And I really wanted to explore um, that idea of a friendship coming to an end as high school comes to an end and both wanting to go maybe in different directions and, and what that means for the friendship because as you're going through school your friends kind of feel like they're going to be your friends forever because school feels like it's going to go forever and then all of a sudden it's over and people want to do different things so um, I wanted to explore that with Dee and also um, D not necessarily always being the best friend to Erin or Erin not always necessarily being the best friend to D and how they both navigate um, when they've done something wrong to the other one. Uh, whereas with Aggie, I wanted to introduce a new friendship because for Erin, I don't think making new friendships is very easy. So I wanted to give her that space and being away from school, which is where she's having a lot of the stress and a lot of that um, hard time taking her out of the school setting and showing her, I guess, what a friendship can look like away from that, which also sort of points to what it's like once you've left school. You're not making friends on the playground. You're not making friends based on who you sit next to in class. You're making friends based on shared values or um, interests and that kind of thing. So um, Aggie was really an exploration of how the right friend at the right time can change your life or really help you through something that's hard. So. They were very polar opposite friends, but I really wanted to explore those things. That That's really interesting. And I think that um, those two, as you're talking, I can really see how those two friends perform very different kind of functions that are complementary for Erin in that, like Dee is this friend who helps her to 
adapt to like the, the school environment. And then Aggie is this friend who kind of opens her up to, to just tapping into to who she is because she's more like who she is and is also just a, a little bit different. Um, so was, was that balance something that you thought about when you were writing them or did that just kind of naturally develop? Um, they were quite thin when I started writing those characters. I was very voice driven. So um, I really had to flesh both of those characters out, probably deem also in the edits. Um, and I definitely, as I was sort of building those characters, wanted to, to balance them with each other, especially because Dee is that constant for Erin. She's the, the person that's been there since she was young and so Aggie's something new. So they definitely felt like they, they balance each other like that. Great. And flawed friendships, great as well, I think. You know, it's nice to see how, you know, your, your true friends aren't just the friends who are always perfect, but the ones you can go through things and then actually you know, come out still friends, um, but having dealt with issues, I thought that was really great. Yeah, and the idea of not being a good friend, like how to act and what to do when you're the one in the friendship that's not that's not being a good friend, yeah. Yeah, I think you all kind of dealt with that in your novels in different ways as well. So um, who would like to go next on that? Um, I'll go next. <laughs> um, I was just thinking as Kay was talking that, you know, all four books... Um, all of the main characters uh, have these friends that they grew up with from when they were quite young. And so they all kind of are dealing it uh, at this age, as we all do when we're teenagers, um, whether these are going to be enduring friendships or whether that you're going to drift apart. And that was something that I wanted to um, explore even before I really knew where the story was going to go with Deep Water. Um, I really wanted to look at uh, a friendship group that was drifting, um, but also um, sort of um, even though, well, they're sort of drifting, but they're also reunited. And I really wanted to have um, a group that was reunited by something. Um, so they had started to drift prior to uh, Henry's disappearance. And then when Chloe returns to town, because she actually lives in the city, but she comes back to town for school holidays, um, there's a three-month gap between Henry going missing and uh, Chloe returning to town and so she kind of reunites and then Tom comes back from, from, um, from uni from Canberra so he's there as well um, and you know it, they kind of all reunite again together and it's different because their dynamic has completely changed and you've got somebody like Chloe's best friend Sabine who is trying to keep everybody together because she doesn't want she wants everything just the way it always was but they've just hit that age where it can't always be the same and there's things that have happened and relationships have struggled and broken up or or putted out before they even really got going and so there's yeah for me um friendship was always going to be a major theme um and of course henry who is a missing piece out of their friendship circle um he's his disappearance um, hasn't really brought them together. It's another thing that's basically started wrenching them apart because there's suspicions and there's lies and there's secrets and, and all sorts of things. So for me, when I started writing Deep Water, I, I definitely wanted to um, explore, uh, yeah, childhood friendships and drifting and all of that and growing up and out of things, but also rediscovering each other a bit as well, which is something that does happen throughout the novel. Um, some swift judgments have been made from certain characters about other characters and, and it's kind of a realisation about um, 
about, um, I suppose, for certain characters, about other people's situations. And then there's also some growth in there for certain characters, even just some of the secondary characters who have been struggling all the way through and they kind of have these moments of release at the end. And, yeah, so so friendship, I think, is always fantastic to explore in YA. And I just think all four of our books um, do really well with that whole idea of um, these these friendships of people they've grown up with and and these friends of theirs are starting to do other things, you know, and, and it's difficult for them because they kind of want to keep them close or they want to um, kind of explore the world themselves. And, yeah, so always a good thing friendship <laughs> absolutely and as you say it's that I think your book really really beautifully um and in layers does that idea of friendships that break down and then a re- like become stronger and something different when they come mm. back together after breakdown so yeah, yeah that's really interesting um Adderall poppy <laughs> would you like to talk about friendships in your book I guess I'll go just because um, it's very interesting. Like Sarah's so right. I think friendship ends up being such a huge theme in so many YA books and certainly all of ours. Um, But like, if I'm honest, I'm not much of a planner. And when I started writing this book, I did not, you know, I guess I was more focused on the romance elements and I really didn't think about the friendship at all um, and didn't really yeah, didn't put much thought into it before I began. And it's interesting to me, I suppose, in hindsight, that friendship in my novels ends up being such a huge theme to explore and such a big, um, you know, point, I suppose, of of what I'm actually writing, considering before I begin, I don't really think about it that much. Um, Usually, I suppose, when I'm writing, I end up writing friends for the main character simply as a way to you know, have them having interactions and someone to bounce off so that they can grow and change. Um, But obviously you don't want a paper thin best friend. So then you have to kind of draw that out and figure out what you're trying to say through the friendships. But I think in um, Taking Down Evelyn Tate, one thing I did really want to kind of look at is the idea of, you know, having a mortal enemy and having someone that you really hate and just the misunderstandings between these two girls um, that really aren't based on a lot. You know, they're just based on not really thinking about the other person and wondering what what's really going on in their head or even stopping to think about what their situation is I mean it's a little bit similar to the Mason thing in Sarah's book except (laughs) on a very different level I suppose but yeah just that that snap judgment and misunderstanding of somebody else is something that I kind of wanted to explore in this one yeah that is interesting when just as you said the made the comparison to Sarah's book I was thinking that you, you you both similarly do that thing of you know often talking mainly from one character's point of view um, in a very negative way about other characters, but planting these little seeds so the reader can see that something else is going on even before you actually go to see what that is, which I think is really great. Um, like a friendship. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> How about, I mean, friendship is huge in, in your book as well. And <laughs> yeah. Particularly that friendship with Jeb and, uh, and Peter, which is really beautiful. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, it kind of has a different feel, I guess, in some ways because uh, Jeb just started out like family for Mm. Peter. When I wrote him, he just felt like family, but the family she didn't have because sometimes, and I know when I grew up, everyone kept saying, 
blood's thicker than water and it should be your family are the ones who, you know, you always imagine this character arc in your life where something might go wrong, but at the end of the day, you know, it'll be the family that come through. And sometimes that's just crap. That just doesn't happen. So I was just like, well, what about them? You know, what about the people who don't have, and I have members of my family who just don't at the end of the day and who I don't want to feel like they have to be the one there at the end. Um, similar to what Mason's going through with that identity crisis of who am I like and who will I be like? Uh, so for Peter, she moves in with her auntie because her parents quit and which is just like the briefest way to explain what happened. Um, and obviously there's a long history of untreated, um, things going on there or no help for her, for her family. And so she's living with her auntie who's amazing. Um, and, and Jeb. So those the, between the two of them and May, uh, her auntie's baby, they actually form her family. And um, there's a process of her actually just learning to sort of see and recognise them for who they are. And she doesn't question that that's her family a lot. Like she actually accepts that quite easily. And I think people where I grew up, um, and obviously I grew up as in Kapalabar um, for many years when I was that age down in um, South Brisbane, case smiling because Cleveland's not that far. It's like... Um, <laughs> It's very close by. And yeah, it was um, in many ways we had a low um, a low socioeconomic area and existence at the time and it was uh, your friends were your people. Uh, and uh, for Peter, it's the same. She just needs to see the value in where and who they are and, and who she has. And I just didn't want people to feel like if it's not their family at the end of the day, then that still counts. And in a way, you've chosen those people. So that's a bit of a bonus. Yeah, and, and I thought that was really lovely in the book, that the fact that, you know, Peter, Peter's family, as you say, quit on her, but that she finds these other people who, who fill those roles and, and you never, or well, I never questioned, um, I never thought that she was losing out. I kind of felt like she'd gained by losing this family that wasn't working for her and then getting yeah. this... this replacement family who are not blood like even her aunt is is isn't is not related by blood no and that was important because i wanted to show the generational side of so um because autism and and adhd um are often you know a genetic there's a genetic um emergence of that and so i was thinking in terms of imagine if her uncle uh, and perhaps her mother and going back they're not diagnosed what's happened to their lives they've had no support where would they be ending up when they've got nothing to hold them up? Well, this is kind of actually just what happens, you know, and it's not a blame situation. It's an understanding situation. And Peter doesn't spend a lot of time blaming anyone. She's just wanting to move forward and she finds a way to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's so, that's really interesting, actually, that idea that, you know, that you, you haven't explicitly said what you just explained about that maybe they were un, undiagnosed yeah, because well, Peter wouldn't think that, to be perfectly no. honest. I think there's a whole point of the fact that this is within a 16-year-old's head and I'm 42. And so all the things I think, how likely is it that she would think that? So she's unlikely to sit there thinking, well, gee, my uncle who did, she's kind of busy, you know, she's got a lot going on right now. She's not going to sit there thinking about it. But, yeah, when in my head when I wrote it. it. <laughs> 
yes, there will be a moment where she looks back and goes, ah, oh. you know, and then there's a sadness. There is a sadness when you look back and you see the pain that you know, has um, been endured in the past and hoping that that doesn't happen in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I have so many questions that I want to ask you all and I'm aware I have very little time, um, but I do want to get some um, questions in there just about the behind the scenes process of writing um, because I think people are always interested in that. And having just talked about friendship, I, I think I, I'd like to ask all of you about when COVID came and obviously all of your books were, you know, due to be released at that time and that was affected, um, affected your books coming out, I know that the four of you kind of got together um, as people with new books coming out and decided you would help each other. And I just wondered if, if you could just tell us a bit about that because I think it's really um, interesting. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> was this you, Sarah? It was me. I Sarah. <laughs> well, I think I got in touch with Poppy first because our books came out on the same day. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, well, uh, and I'd already been, um, I already, ha- I've met Kay before um, in real life and we've been chatting and I, um, Anna and I have been chatting. We have the same publisher. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think I uh, Poppy and I, well, actually Poppy contacted me, I think, to wish me well, um, because, uh, we both had the same, um, release day. And so she, she contacted me, uh, via Twitter messages, I think Poppy. Yeah, that's so, yeah. We had a little chat back and forth and then I kind of came away from that message and I thought, oh, you know what? Like, it'd be really good to get together with, um, you know, Poppy and a couple of other YA authors who've got books coming out this month and we could just support each other and we could just create some um, promotional assets and we could just chat and support each other and that's what we, we've we done. So we just have this lovely little chat thread that we have going on um, in the background on Twitter and then, um, you know, through that um, was your fabulous suggestion of doing this. So it's actually all worked out great and we've all read each other's books and we're all in love with each other in each other's books <laughs> I've noticed that on social media and it's beautiful <laughs> and so it's so easy to support books as well that you love so it's it's been really good and we we get to vent to each other about things and we get to share with each other about things so yeah it's it's been very enjoyable I love those girls <laughs> we the time all of our next book releases to be at the same time so yes <laughs> Okay, well, well, I think that that requires some coordination, but why not? <laughs> um, and actually, along those lines, I'd love to ask you, Kay and Anna, um, this is, it's really unusual. As far as I know, these are the first two um, YA books written by, um, you know, own voices, uh, neurodivergent books, uh, the first by women. And they've come out at the same time or within a month of each other. Um, how like it just how did that happen were you two aware of each other's books coming out um and yeah (laughs) what's that been like to have someone else who's who's kind of stepping into that territory at the same time okay um so we both have the same agent as well it's very um small world um and we met uh, at a conference like a year between meetings um 
and we were sort of became aware of each other when Anna was was pitching to Danielle and and I think she said she'd seen that um, Danielle already had an autistic own voices YA book on her books um, and she got in contact to see if I could have a read of a little bit see if there was similarities or if there was any sort of point in pitching and we had a little bit of a chat over email then I think and I read a little bit of Peter Lyre which was amazing um, and that the books are you know deal with such different things so it was it was an easy yes and it made me really excited to think that two of these books could exist um, I didn't know they were going to come out on the same day which is <laughs> which is awesome it's been it amazing epic. Yeah, it was Mm. Kate was very supportive right from word go. And I don't know, because I didn't know if I, I don't know if I'd have had the courage to pitch, uh, I think, without Kay's support. So that meant a lot to me. Uh, and I'm not sure we're exactly the first. I'm not sure. There's a couple, and I don't want to name people in case it's sort of a private thing, but there were a couple that I thought might have been, um, but probably not when there was this much own voices support. And I think this is we're riding on on what they've done before us, and uh, and to be at the same time is definitely unusual. And I think the world's ready. I think in the past some things might have come out, and the world wasn't ready yet. But I think we're at a point now where everyone's like, "Oh, you mean we can't ignore this anymore?" <laughs> um, yeah, right. yeah. I think in the lead up to it as well, there was like a BBC documentary, and then the ABC were doing things on you know women with autism and that kind of thing, and it just kind of felt like this big lead up to our books coming up, but no, just to a bigger conversation around um, underdiagnosis or misdiagnosis in women. Well, I have to say, as someone who has a provisional autism diagnosis myself from many years ago, I have been kind of looking out for books by women um, that I might connect with or just like enjoy reading. And there aren't that many, and they're certainly the first Australian YA ones I've seen. And when I read them, I just, there was so much I connected with um, and I thought it was just fantastic that young women coming up now will have these two books with these two different experiences that they'll be able to read. So, yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, I rang readings last week. This is totally, sorry if I'm cutting you off there, but I rang because I, uh, and for reasons, and um, Danny said that she'd, had someone come in in her 80s and said that she'd seen me on um, TV or heard something and, and said she thinks that's her and that she wanted to read the book. Oh. And that's someone in her 80s. And my 94-year-old grandma's now um, going around the southern half of the UK going, everyone needs to read this book. <laughs> um, so there's generations and it's coming through from everywhere, even though they're young adult books. I think that's it's still really finding its readership ever you know all through no that's a beautiful story and um and, and really heartening so thanks for sharing that that's not off topic at all i think it's great um i'd love to ask you all um just a little bit about writing genre um because i think um i mean obviously neurodivergent own voices novels that's not exactly a genre but you know it's it's it kind of is in a little way. Um, but Sarah, you're writing these crime psychological thrillers and Poppy, your novels are romantic comedies. And I feel when, I wonder if you could talk a bit about writing within or against the kind of genre that um, you're writing in. And also um, if you, you know, why you chose that form, like do you read it 
did it just seem right for storytelling? Um, Sarah or Poppy, if one of you can go first. 